Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Saturday, August 28th, 2021. It might be tempting to think even as you explain things about the Bible or it's possible sometimes you might almost have this unspeakable concern that you want to be careful not to overemphasize the love of God. You might want to be careful that you don't, you know, just too much focus on the love of God. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that's impossible. There is no way that we can overemphasize the love of God or speak of the love of God too much. Now, there are some things we can do that aren't so good. We can explain the love of God very poorly. We can use a very human, worldly definition of love instead of God's definition of love. We can speak of the love of God and never speak of his other attributes, his holiness, his justice, and and things like that. But we cannot really, if we are truly explaining the love of God and truly emphasizing the love of God, we cannot do that. In fact, the repeated concern of Scripture seems to be that we think much too little of the love of God rather than having a concern that we think too much of the love of God. I was reminded this morning in our reading of another passage that we didn't read, but Ephesians 3, 18 through 19, Paul prays that the people may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He's praying because we need strength to even begin to wrap our mind around how big God's love is. So let us dive in to the love of God this morning and realize we're, we're diving into something that's bigger than we could ever imagine. And we can live our whole lives and we will never have thought too much of the love of God. And even after decades of following the Lord, we will still only have begun to fathom the incredible love of God. And so I want us to go to Psalm 103 again this morning, where today we look at verses 6 through 14, but we begin to see uh, much about the love of God. It says, starting in verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And it goes on to describe that love. In verse 10, he says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. I mean, just think about that. How high are the heavens above the earth? And I don't think the point here is, you know, let's get a measurement and figure that out. I think the point is, no, it's just so vast. It's I'm trying to think of the biggest possible things this writer could possibly imagine. Things that aren't even really measurable. But how high the heavens are above the earth, that's how great his steadfast love is towards those who fear him. That's an amazing thought. 
And I think we see a lot there, even that love is directed towards those who fear him. And that's where I think we can uh, poorly explain the love of God in in a way that negates any concept of, of fearing the Lord, which we see all throughout the scriptures. But that's where, again, we should never think of the fear of the Lord as a negative thing. It is a positive thing. Uh, those that fear the Lord, and God, that, those are the people that God loves with this love that cannot be fathomed. I mean, do, you, do you realize that today? As you're maybe chewing on whatever happened this week, or you're concerned about what's happening in, happening in the week to come, that God loves you with a love that can't be measured. It's as high as the heavens are above the earth. And also that love, one way God expresses that love towards us is his forgiveness. And then in verse 12, it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Again, east, west, that's not, well, how far is the east from the west? Uh, No, again, it's immeasurable. And I think even the idea, as many have said, is, hey, if you, uh, get in your car or you get in a plane and you start heading east, um, you're going to keep heading east. You, you will head east forever. You will never reach a point where, oh, now I'm going west. No, you would always be going east. And God shows his love towards us in his forgiveness. And this is where I think we do struggle sometimes. We, One of the great struggles of the Christian life is to believe that God really has forgiven me and God really loves me. And if you understand that and you're not losing sight of who God is as he's presented in scripture, that you are still one of the people that rightly fears the Lord and you understand his his holiness and his character and his majesty and his authority that he is the king, right? We, We can never dwell too much on his love. And I think one of the great struggles we have is to really believe that God loves us like he says he does. I mean, would any of us really worry at all if we really believed that God loved us like it says he does here? Would you ever be afraid again in your life if you really believed that God loved you like this? Don't you think you'd have more victory over temptation if you really believe that God loved you like this? I think that's one fear. If we overemphasize the love of God, well, then we might, you know, give in to sin. Uh, And I, I think... Think of those of you that are married, you know, think about the love of your spouse. Man, if you knew that they loved you more than you could ever understand, do you think that would encourage you to just disregard them or be unfaithful to them? No, it would draw out your love for them. And that's how God's love should work for us. I love these last couple verses in our reading today. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers we are dust. And so I hope that just encourages you this weekend. Uh, If you are a believer, if you are one that fears the Lord, uh, man, you, God loves you more than, than you'll ever understand. And try to wrap your head around that this weekend. As you think about the circumstances of your life or the events of the world, take comfort in the love of God. And this love of God should not just draw us into ourselves or just make us think about ourselves. It should draw us out to think of others because we also see an example of the love of God today as we look at Luke chapter 15. And Luke 15 is three stories, a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And today we look at the first two of those stories, the lost sheep and the lost coin. 
Now, these are familiar stories if you've been around church or you grew up in the church or you've read the Bible, especially the the prodigal son, one of the most famous stories ever told, right? As Jesus tells this story of, of this lost son who returns to his father. And today we look at the first two, but all three of these stories are meant to make a similar point. They're all given in response to the Pharisees grumbling against him, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them, right? They're they're grumpy because Jesus is receiving sinners. Um, And Jesus then tells these stories. Well, hey, if you had a hundred sheep and one was lost, wouldn't you go find it? And when you found it, wouldn't you throw a party? And if you, you had a lost coin and you searched your house and you found it, wouldn't you be excited? And he's saying, that's how I feel when sinners get saved. And I think that also those that want to use uh, this as an excuse just to, you know, hang out with the world and develop really unhealthy relationships that will pull us down in our Christian life. That's not what Jesus was doing. He was uh, calling sinners to repentance. And so lots of times when they're criticizing him for receiving sinners, they're criticizing him for receiving sinners who had repented and now wanted to follow Jesus. And he's saying, no, there's rejoicing when a sinner repents. That represents the joy of God. And I think in that joy, we see the love of God. And certainly we're going to see that as we start to get into the story of the prodigal son and the father and the love that he has for the son. But let that be a reminder that really dwelling on the love of God won't just make us inwardly focused on, oh, how much he loves me. It will also get us thinking outward of, man, God so loved the world. And God rejoices, you know, it says there is rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents. These are amazing things. And so may the love of God not only encourage us in our lives, may it also really get us thinking beyond ourselves to to those sinners in our lives that need repentance. And may we show that love of God towards the lost people around us. Uh, Well, let's wrap up with a a couple more passages briefly this morning. Uh, Next, we go to Job 31. And Job 31 is kind of his last extended statement, especially in the context of his friends. And it seems here, again, he defends his integrity. You know, a very famous statement at the beginning of chapter 31, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? And he goes on to a lot of things saying, man, I'm... I'm treating the people in my life well. I'm I'm not giving in to impurity. He's defending his uh, integrity. And so again, I think that's something that's come up a few times in the book of Job that we should think about, that no matter what's going on in our lives, we should pursue integrity. We should say, God, even when all seems lost, I'm going to continue to follow you. I think if we really believe the love of God, that's something that will encourage us to do that. Even when life seems dark, we will say, no, I know that God loves me and I want to continue to follow him. And also uh, this idea of his love being as high as the heavens towards those who fear him. I think we see some of that here in Job. Job feared the Lord. We even saw that in his definition of wisdom the other day. Uh, We see him living it out. Even though life was tough, he wasn't going to give up on following God and doing the right thing. And next, then we get into the chapters where this younger friend, Elihu, speaks, and he um, rebukes the three other friends. And there's debate 
about this Elihu. Is he just another foolish counselor like the other friends? Is he wiser? Um, I don't think anyone besides God who will speak at the end says perfect things in this book. But I do think that there are a lot of positives in what Elihu comes in to say. And even it seems in chapter 33 that he buys that Job has integrity, but he does start to call Job out for how he is questioning God. And I think ultimately that's what Job realizes he's done wrong in response. That he, yes, he hasn't cursed God. He hasn't given up on following God. He hasn't given up his integrity, uh, but he has questioned God. And so again, no one is perfect, I think, in the human uh, actors in this story. But when we get into the speeches of Elihu here, but again, in chapter 31, we see Job, Job holding fast his integrity. And now finally, we wrap up with 1 Timothy 3 today. And 1 Timothy talks at the end about how we should conduct ourselves in the household of God. But it spends a lot of time talking to uh, overseers and deacons. And so this is a good opportunity for us to understand this is a little bit of how God wants the church to operate. Uh, and, and that these are the leaders that he wants. The word overseer uh, sometimes is translated even bishop in the English language, but it's one of really three words in the New Testament, three Greek words that uh, describe one office of leadership. And we translate, you know, we, I mentioned bishop, but probably words we use more for that are used to translate some of those words are elder or pastor. And all those words in scripture are used to describe one office. These are the overseers. Uh, these, This is the team of men that should lead and give direction to the church. And, and these are the qualifications for those men. And next there are deacons. And deacon, the Greek word literally means servant. And so it seems that while every Christian is meant to serve, and even that Greek word is used to describe what every Christian should do, it seems that some will be appointed to more of an office that, that does have some sense of leadership, but is, is focused on service. Um, and here we see qualifications for that. And so these are the things that God kind of describes as, as the leadership positions in the church. Uh, overseers, these are uh, the, the men that are going to give direction and oversight to the church. These are the pastors slash elders, uh, and that team is giving oversight to the church. And then there's the the deacons. These are the people that are kind of giving some sense of leadership in, in serving the church and making sure that the practical needs are met and protecting the unity of the church that way. And this is how God wants us to operate in the household of God, as it says in the end of the chapter there. So hopefully you see some of this reflected in your church. Uh, but as we wrap up today, let's again remember the love of God. And hey, this Saturday, one thing I know you can't do too much of is, is think of the love of God. It surpasses knowledge. It's higher than the heavens are above the earth towards those who fear him. May we truly rejoice in the love of God today. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.